All right, so as, as Allie read uh, and lit the, the joy candle, I've been loving uh, Advent. And it's been a delight uh, to go through hope and peace, our, our first two, and now this week, now joy. And our modern dictionaries define joy as a, as a feeling of great happiness. It's essentially like pleasure on overdrive, or maybe in LA terms, really, really good vibes. And for me, that makes me think of, of young children, specifically mine. Um, they exhibit this unadulterated pleasure uh, most of the time. And I see it on their faces, and I definitely hear it in their voices, maybe sometimes a little too much. Specifically this morning, Owen just had this like piercing, loud excitement this morning, and it just was a little too much for, for 545. <laughs> uh, but that, that's not exactly what is meant in Scripture uh, by joy. Scripture doesn't describe joy as this exaggerated happiness. Joy is completely other. It's beyond feeling. It's more, it's a possession, a posture, a response to reality. Joy is something you have, not something you feel. And even more, joy is something given something completed, something formed inside of you. Now that might sound a little complex, maybe not as straightforward as a little three-letter word joy sounds, and I agree, but this morning as we enter again into the story of Jesus' birth, we're going to see what Luke has to, to show us about joy. And I believe through the reading of the story here, we're going to gain a better understanding of the mystery of joy. So if you have your Bibles or, or a phone, you can open to, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, but it will also be up uh, on the screen. So again, Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is God's word. So our story today begins with Caesar, the Roman world, and a census. It's so easy to hear that word census and just think of that little ballot you get in the mail, you know, here in 2022, but certainly not easy in 0 AD, right? Caesar, though, had complete power power to call on the entire Roman world to be counted so he would know how many people belonged to him and the world obeyed. Imagine that power to command the nations to return to their hometowns and declare themselves a subject to you. That phrase, everyone went to their own town, is a phrase of complete devotion to Caesar, to Caesar's rule, to his reign. Literally, everyone all over the Mediterranean did what he said, across ethnic backgrounds, languages, religions, political allegiances. They all heard this command and obeyed. People picked up, they moved, traveled, and bore the burden. This type of power makes me think of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which tells us both The government will rest on his shoulders and also of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. As we read the first few sentences of the story in Luke, I can't help but think, wait, is Caesar the mighty God? The prince of peace? Caesar was a child once. Maybe this is who Isaiah was speaking of. At this point, Augustus had been in power for almost 30 years, and the grip of Rome was seemingly ever-expanding. Is Caesar the one? In fact, if I'm honest, my heart is enamored with this kind of power. Perhaps yours is too. For the kind of power we see Caesar wield is so attractive. Think of how easy life could be with that kind of power. I believe it reveals in us how we often confuse power with peace. We confuse control with joy. I might even say that the power of Caesar is more appealing than the power that is to come in the life of Jesus because it's a power that I can 
theoretically, achieve on my own without the help from anyone else. If Augustus can do it, I surely can rule my little kingdom, even if it's just my own little life on the little corner of this earth. I still think that I could maybe be in charge. Our love affair with being our own Caesar and having our own empire continues to this day. We long more for this power that we see in government and through the results of an election or the the changing of power. Um, We are way more interested in that than the already arrived power of Jesus. So here, uh, for those of you that are new at SOMA, we, uh, we actually ask questions where you can respond. So please feel free to, to answer here. Uh, but to you all, so in light of this, right, Caesar in the story, full control, full power. So who are the Caesars in your own life that we obey to, to try to produce joy or at least happiness for us? Uh, when I was preparing for this this morning, I'm going to answer because I was so convicted by God. Uh, for me, the Caesar in my life is just the desire, like I've been saying, to be in control. Like, I love everything to just be straight, and, and I, I know what's going on. I have control, which, of course, having two children is completely uh, upending for me. But, but I think if things are right and in control and, and good, then... then I have joy, then I can be happy. So, so that's, my, that's my confession to you all this morning. But what about you all? Who are the Caesars or what is the Caesar in your life that you obey to produce joy or at least happiness? Yeah, absolutely. The, the joy of completing, completing something. I think for me, it's a lot of, is everyone else happy? Mm. Is my child happy? Are my parents happy? Is my husband happy? Is our MC happy? Is everyone okay? If everyone's okay, then I surely have done my job. And then you can have joy. Mm. Uh, I really know 
the moment's joyous, the moment is very happy, and I am like insulated from experiencing it because my mind is thinking about work or it's thinking about work. like the home stuff that can't get done because of all the other things and what it means. And so I like I'm like buffeted from mm. to access joy. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Yeah, Evan. That's, wow. Yeah, that's really good. It's encouraging to know I'm not alone in that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, back to, back to our, our passage. You know, so Luke um, continues to, to say here in pragmatic, very practical terms that it was under the rule and power of Caesar that Jesus was born. Verses four through six tell us that Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, all at the single command of Caesar. So again, let's not forget, this was 2,000 years ago. So last night I Google mapped it, of course. It's two hours by car. Like this is not, I mean, it's, it's 90 miles. Like that's, that is a, an in, in, insurmountable distance to think of, especially we have a couple of uh, pregnant people in here. Think about this. Mary was nine months pregnant. How does that sound on a donkey? I mean, days and days it would have taken them to travel, all at the single command of of Caesar. This shows that as Jesus came into this world, he was not simply born with some distant ruler over him, but under a Lord who controlled even where his parents went and when they went there. Caesar is Lord over this baby. Jesus was born into the class that is ruled, that is in submission. Not the ruling class, not like a king. Jesus was born like you and me. But then, an angel appears to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the creator and of the sustainer of the universe showed up. And suddenly, the narrative shifts dramatically from one man's power in Caesar to cosmic grandeur of the Lord from above. Heaven on earth. Jesus didn't need to be born in a palace. The angels appearing would have dwarfed anything the earthly nobility could have tried to emulate. No kingdom, no empire, no red carpet or stadium that the wealthiest of nations like Qatar for the World Cup could ever compare to the glory of the Lord shining around them in this desert in the outskirts of town. The glamour of Hollywood, the genius of Elon Musk, the riches of Dubai, all of it together with all the empires and all the wealthiest of nations, gather all the fine art throughout the world, all the most famous, masterful cathedrals, and then, only then, would you even have a single drop 
of the glory of the Lord that was shining around these shepherds. This king's arrival shattered the divide between heaven and earth. The shepherds were terrified, it says, as they should have been. And we should be too, because the framework of our entire world has just been turned upside down. No one predicted Caesar Augustus' birth 700 years before. No poems that I know of were written about the governor of Syria. I see no mention of the kingdom of Rome from visions 500 years past. But here, on this day, that long-expected promise from Isaiah comes true. This is good news of great joy. So church, in light of this, our conception of joy needs to be readjusted. Joy does not come from earthly power or the allure and glamour of worldly control. Joy actually has nothing at all to do with our worldly circumstances. No. True joy comes from beholding Christ and seeing his glory. Honestly, I'm not sure if we can even have joy at all until we behold the glory and sufficiency of Christ alone. We often talk about the arrival of Jesus as if it was nondescript, irrelevant, quiet, understated. It happened in a small town. Society wasn't even aware of it. But what we mean is Jesus wasn't born culturally famous or relevant. Yes, it happened in a stable outside of the capital in a conquered country of Israel that essentially served as the highway underpass of the Roman Empire. Yes, it happened to a poor family who was the subject who were who were subjects of the rule of a distant emperor. And yes, it happened outside of a hospital or even a proper home. Yes, we cannot conceive through our modern Western eyes of a birth more horrifying. But Jesus was born cosmically glorious. This is what the angels sing. Glory to God in the highest. His birth was the most glorious. The birth of most renown. The birth of history. I think Luke wants us to see exactly that as he tells us this story. No angels attended the birth of Caesar. No heavenly host announced a renewal of hope in any other birth in all of history. This was different. This was Emmanuel, God with us. Only Jesus and his glory can bring great joy. Because from catching simply a glimpse of his glory we become aware that God is for us. God came to be with us and God came to save us. Therefore, we can have great joy in any circumstances in this world. The angel also says, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And with that declaration, the kingdoms and authorities of this world shrink. The Savior has been born. Messiah, Lord. The most happy and heralded news to ever be spoken. The angel is confident. The news he delivers causes joy to all people. This news is not for the powerful only, but for everyone. The downtrodden, the poor, the forgotten. Noted Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote often about joy. And he describes joy this way. He had multiple experiences where he would have the sudden piercing pang of longing, a bittersweet ache and yearning for something far off, otherworldly and unnamed. True joy, as Lewis presented, is the aching for something beyond this world. It's the yearning deep within us for a sense of a home that we've never been to or a longing for a relationship that hasn't yet started. And so here, when the angel says, today a savior has been born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord, that home that we've longed for has arrived. That healing that we couldn't even name now has a name. That relationship we were made for, it has begun. In fact, Jesus, he was born to us. That is great joy. And we continue to see this out, uh, see this play out in the biblical story. The apostle Paul who similarly was born into this world, sought earthly glory and power as a member of the Pharisees, the Jewish ruling elite. But he was transformed by Jesus one day on the road to Damascus. I encourage you to read that story. It's in Acts 9. It's a good one. But I bring up Paul because he was well acquainted with joy. By all accounts, Paul lived an extremely hard life. He was a tent maker by trade, had to work with his hands. He experienced numerous shipwrecks, left for dead, was imprisoned numerous times in different cities. He was beaten significantly to the point of being very near to death and was constantly afflicted by some unknown physical malady. I mean, by all accounts, an extremely hard life. I know for me, that type of life would greatly challenge my sense of well-being or my understanding of happiness or of joy. Yet, he goes on to write these wonderful words that sum up what we've talked about today. In Philippians 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
the Lord is near. Wow. See what he is saying here. It's why do we believe that Paul is writing these words from prison? And yet he reminds us of the good news of great joy. The Lord is near. He has come to us. Jesus was born into this broken world so that he could be near to us. Jesus came to this earth, the one that he created, to know us intimately, as closely as possible. He chose to bring heaven to earth. And what do we do with this news? Rejoice. It's so important, he repeats it. Rejoice literally means to delight in the Lord. Receive the joy that is gifted to us by the coming of a Savior, Jesus. Again, Emmanuel, God with us. So I've been blessed to be in two delivery rooms. My lovely wife bore two sons to us. And in that room, as the babies appeared, they, uh, and of course they're crying and the nurses take them and they clean them off gently and then, um, then, then they hand them to me like this precious present. I have no idea what the volume was like in that sterile delivery room, but I couldn't hear a thing. Each time I found myself afraid to speak, whispering, overcome, and delighted. They were born to me. And it is just like that here. God has come towards you, towards me, towards the world. It's the greatest news. Jesus, born a savior, to set the world free from the bondage of sin. Jesus, born a king to conquer death. Jesus, born Lord to defeat evil. There's never been a more spectacular birth or more prominent news. The story of all humanity shifts in Luke 2.7. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. In fact, the most important part of your life and the dominant plot line in your story is this. What will you do with the baby born in Bethlehem? Jesus takes over your story and it's great news and it causes indescribable joy. It gives you as a possession, lasting joy. Will you receive it? So now we are going to enter a time to respond to those questions. We're going to take communion. And so uh, practically we have uh, the cup and, and the bread on both sides. So come with those that you came with. Uh, but after you come and, and take it, gather in small groups and process that question before the Lord.
Are you receiving his joy? What are you doing with the birth of that baby boy in Bethlehem? So there will be some music playing, and and I'm going to pray, and then feel free to come and take and process that question with those around you. Jesus, thank you so much that you came towards us. You knew that we couldn't come to you, and you began the great rescue plan, and you came for us. In the midst of this brokenness and the pain and the suffering that this world has, Lord, you came and entered as a baby. Lord, help us this this season of Advent to continue to ponder that. What does that mean for us? Help us to wrestle with that. Lord, thank you that you did come and not only that, that you, you bore all of the sin for the whole world and you rose triumphant three days later. May we remember that this morning. Amen.